It's been uh, several weeks, actually a couple of months, since the last time I had a uh, talk that was infused with pop culture references, so um, I thought it was about time. And uh, I'm on this side of the terms of call vote, so it's safer today. Um, <laughs> no, that would be cynical. Um, but um, I wanted to talk to you today about movies. Um, there is the, the, the top two movies in... Um, in box office history, uh, the two movies that have grossed the most amount of money um, are uh, Avatar and uh, Titanic. And uh, together they've made about $5 billion in box office income. So they've, they've done very well. But they have something in common besides having made a lot of money. Um, does anyone have any clue what it, what it might be that those two movies have in common? They are directed by the same man. Uh, James Cameron directed both of those movies, and so you can imagine he probably uh, gets his phone calls answered in Hollywood with a record like that. Um, he probably have, has never had any trouble with people saying, you know, I can't do lunch with you. Um, but, uh, but they have that in common because he's been a very successful director. But at the beginning of his career, he made some movies that, that were not as well received. The first two movies nobody's heard of, and it was his third movie that was his his breakthrough hit. It was... It was not only his breakthrough, but it was also the movie that that really uh, made an, an actor appear kind of on the popular uh, culture. Um, an Austrian bodybuilder who you probably had never heard of um, until that movie, Conan the Barbarian or Arnold Schwarzenegger, as he's sometimes known. Um, uh, his his real breakthrough hit was the movie The Terminator. And if you're not familiar with the movie The Terminator, um, the the idea is very simple. Arnold Schwarzenegger plays a killer robot sent from the future to 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 kill a woman uh, because she's going to have a baby and the baby is going to to become the uh, the head of the resistance that that stops all the killer robots in the future. So a nice little simple time travel thing, nothing too complicated about that. And robots and and uh, uh, the the robots travel to the to present and in the present uh, they uh, are uh, trying to um, kill uh, this woman. Um, uh, Sarah Connor, she's the woman in the front, but it turns out she has a protector, a protector um, who introduces himself in this scene right here. His name is Kyle Reese, and he is a soldier from the future who is sent by the resistance to protect her from the killer robot who's sent from the future. So very simple. Um, everybody got this. Okay, so uh, Kyle Reese and Sarah Connor, and uh, this is the scene where he first introduces himself to her. And um, uh, the movie did very well, uh, not as well as Avatar and Titanic, but it did quite well. And so seven years later, they made a sequel, uh, which was Terminator 2, Judgment Day. And here's a scene from it. Um, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger reprises his role as a killer robot from the future. But there's a difference because before he came back to the present from the future, he was, he was uh, uh, captured by the resistance and they reprogrammed him. They put in a new chip in his head. And now he's a good killer robot. Okay. Now there's, there's a bad killer robot who also comes back to the present. But the, but the good killer robot, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, he, he comes to save and here is, um, here's Sarah and her son John. John has now been born and he's going to go on to become the leader of the resistance. And, uh, um, these were not the last two movies. There was a Terminator 3, and then there was a Terminator reboot movie called Terminator Salvation. And there was even a few years ago another uh, TV show 
called uh, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. And in this movie, the um, killer robot from the future is uh, this woman, uh, Summer Glau, plays a character named Cameron after James Cameron, the director of the original movie. So um, what these... um, what, what all of these movies have in common, uh, besides uh, this time travel vortex thing, so um, besides that, um, there are there are um, a number of famous lines from these movies that get repeated. Uh, you've probably heard at some point, if you've ever heard of Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know the famous line from Arnold Schwarzenegger is, I'll be back, right? Okay, so I'm hearing some over here. Um, so Arnold Schwarzenegger says, he'll be back. But one of the other lines, and it's the line that uh, the characters reveal themselves uh, when they first, the, the, the hero reveals, the hero from the future reveals themselves to the hero in the present. The line that they use repeatedly is, come with me if you want to live. This is the phrase, and it appears in, in the different movies, come with me if you want to live. And it has a double meaning, because it means, first of all, um, if you come with me right now, we'll escape from the Terminator who's trying to kill you. But but it also has this idea that I'm from the future, and I know all about you, and I know the problems you face, and I know the the resources that you have to face them with, and I know how things are going to turn out for you. I know that, that, that uh, you have... Um, a different future than it may look like right now where this robot's trying to kill you. So there's this idea that, that come with me if you want to live is more than simply to escape from the monster. It's also this idea to develop into the person that you really were meant to be, to, to fulfill your destiny. So there's this idea that there's a character arc and, um, the, the woman, Sarah Connor, she actually has quite a character arc in the first movie. She, she develops from kind of a weakling who is, uh, has an unsuccessful job and unsuccessful personal life. And by the end of the movie, she's ordering the soldier around and killing the robot and so forth. So she has a character arc. She develops into somebody who's really different than she was at the first. She changes um, internally. She discovers a hidden reservoirs of strength and, and a new decisiveness she hadn't had before. And I think a lot of us, I don't, I don't think anybody wants killer robots from the future, but a lot of us would like to have that kind of coach, somebody who could come along, somebody who could mentor us, somebody who could help us become the kind of people we want to be. In this country, we spend $12,000 billion a year on education. $12,000 billion, $1.2 trillion on education in this country every year because people want to be different. They want to be equipped with a new skill. They want to learn a new trade. Whatever it is, people want to change. They want to stop smoking. They want to start doing this. They want to do different things. Uh, we, we spend a fortune, uh, just a fabulous amount of money on education because we want to change who we are. $500 billion uh, each year of that total is spent on post-secondary education, so um, uh, college uh, and, and graduate school. Uh, we spend $500 billion a year to go to college in this country. And it works. The, the, uh, the unemployment rate for college graduates is slightly less, slightly less than the unemployment rate for the population as a whole. Although there are certain degree specialties where the unemployment rate is higher. So for example, don't go become an architect because their, their, uh, unemployment rate is about 5% higher 
than the population as a whole. And that's really a general problem. A third of recent college graduates are working in jobs that don't even require a degree. So they don't, they don't need any kind of degree to, to do that work. You know, you meet them at Starbucks or whatever. Um, and, and so for them, the education that they were trying to obtain, uh, didn't work, or at least it hasn't worked out yet. It hasn't got them to the place they were hoping to be. And oftentimes, it's been a very expensive education. The average person in this country, the average graduate, has $24,000 in student loan debt, and 10% have $50,000 or more in student loan debt. So it can be a very expensive education, particularly if you're working at Starbucks trying to pay that off. So education may be the solution for a lot of people, but for some people, it's not the solution. A lot of people want to change who they are, and they would be grateful for somebody from the future who could tell them, I know all about you, I know what your capabilities are, and this is the path you need to follow if you want to have that life. It's not just education. Uh, people are trying to change themselves in all kinds of ways. Um, I was reading, and I didn't bring my... I didn't bring my note card, but we'll test my memory. Um, I was reading about relationships, and I found that in the UK, so it's probably a little bit different here, but probably not significantly different. In the United Kingdom, the um, average woman has 22 kissing relationships. That's the definition that they had. So close enough to kiss, um, but encompassing everything from there on, uh, uh, depending, uh, would be included in that group. But but uh, 20, 22 relationships close enough to kiss, uh, four long-term relationships, and five broken hearts. And the reason is because people move along, right? They're, they're trying this thing, and it seems like it's the right thing, and then maybe it turns out not to be, or maybe they just kind of, uh, this is not clearly not the right way to go. So people change. People change their circumstances. People change their relationships. We are a restless people. People uh, change jobs nearly 12 times a, a year, 11.7 times, uh, not a year. In their lifetime, people will try nearly 12 jobs. They will move 11 times in their life. Uh, we are restless in our jobs, in our locations, our relationships, and we try to change who we are through education and so forth. I was reading a statistic that said um, at any given moment, a quarter of the adults you meet are dieting. Okay, so if they're acting like jerks, maybe now you know why. Um, and then the best statistic I read, when a woman is 45, she will, on average, have tried 61 diets. Okay, so people people want to change, and they don't know how to change. They don't know what it is that's going to work for them, so they keep trying. The good thing is people do keep trying. The bad thing is that so far, uh, uh, for the first 60 of those times, they haven't found the success that they were hoping for. And that is mirrored in relationships and everything else. We're a restless people. We would like to have somebody from the future who could come and tell us, I know your story. I know how things are going to turn out. I know the hidden, the hidden you inside, and I'm going to take you there. Well, you can see where this is coming from, right? You, or you can see where it's headed to. Um, because in our story today in the Bible, we read how Jesus shows up in these fishermen's lives, and he says, come with me if you want to live. Well, almost. What he, what he actually says, if you're going to be pedantic, what he says is, is follow me, and I will make you fish for people. But that is so close in meaning to what the characters in the movie say. Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. 
So what does Jesus mean by that? First of all, follow me. When Jesus says, follow me, he appears. Um, he's unexpected. It's not that he's unknown. Uh, we get some hints that Jesus has got a previous relationship with some of these disciples. But he wasn't expected there that day, right? They weren't, you know, they didn't have their, their gear packed and ready to go on a trip. They were fishing. They were casting their nets into the sea. In one case, they were mending their nets. In the case of the other brothers, they weren't expecting Jesus to show up that day and say, follow me. But Jesus did. Jesus showed up unexpectedly and said, follow me. He didn't say how long he was going to have them. He didn't say what the compensation would be. He didn't say whether they'd get their own hotel rooms. Jesus simply says, follow me. And then he says the, the, the really amazing thing. He says, follow me. That's your part. But when you follow me, I have a part too. I will. I will what? I will make you fishers of men. Jesus says, I'm going to do something with you. Now, the word make in English is ambiguous. For us, the word make could be, I'm going to force you. You don't want to become fishers of men, but I'm going to force you to become fishers of men. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I will transform you. The word he uses is the generic word for, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something, and it may have overtones of creativity. I'm going to do something creative. It's where we get our word poem. So Jesus says, I'm going to make something else out of you because I'm, well, not from the future, but I'm God and I know you. I know you, who you are. I know what your capabilities are. I know what you can become. And I know the longing of your heart. I know what it is you want to do. And so he says, he says, I will make you fish for people. Now, what does he mean by that? For 2,000 years, all kinds of opinions. People have people have written commentaries. What does fish for people mean? And there's a bunch of wonderful reasons, uh, wonderful interpretations, and they're they're good. Um, they're they're convincing, and and really they don't matter because he wasn't saying that to us. He was saying it to them. He was saying to fishermen, "I will make you fish for people," and they found it convincing. The proof that they found it convincing is they dropped their nets. They walked away from their boat. They walked away from their father. They heard what they wanted to hear. We saw that last week. Jesus said, come and see. Check it out yourself. And now we see Jesus say, I will make you fish for men. He doesn't say, whatever that means. We don't know, right? But but the, 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 the deep longing of their heart, the thing that would make them drop their nets, leave their boats, abandon their father, Jesus says that. And and what what would it be that would make somebody do that? It's the deep longing of their heart. He's Jesus says, I will change you into the kind of person who does this thing you want to do. So Jesus says that. And it's interesting, Jesus doesn't say, here's how you get there. He doesn't give them a list of instructions. He doesn't say, fishing for people for dummies. He doesn't say, here's one weird trick that will enable you to fish for people. He doesn't say, here's the seven important steps you need to follow. He says, follow me and I will make you. Jesus says, I will be in relationship with you and I will do the work. You follow me. So, What do we do with this? Well, Jesus says the same thing to each of us. I, I don't think about the fish part, but he says the same thing. He says, uh, he says to make disciples. He says to make followers, to make people who follow him. 
and he will make them into the thing they want to be. So, so ask yourself, what is that thing? What is that thing? And, and, and maybe say, well, I have figured this out a long time ago. I've been following Jesus since I was a kid, and I know exactly what it is that Jesus is turning me into. But, but maybe you're not as clear on that. And so ask yourself, what is it that would make you leave your boat? What, what is it that would make you leave your net or your father? What is it that, that is the deepest longing of your heart, the only thing maybe that you would be willing to give up, to become, or to do? That's what Jesus is talking about. If you look in that direction, that's the place that you will see the thing Jesus is saying he will make you. He says, I will make you fish for people. Whatever whatever fish for people is for you. Jesus says, I will do that with you. I will be with you, I will guide you, and I will change you. I have a, a particular application due to the circumstances of the day. Uh, today we are uh, ordaining and installing officers in the church, and there's a very obvious application because Jesus says this not just to us as individuals. He says it to a church. He says, essentially, come with me if you want to live to our congregation as well. He says, follow me, and I will make you as a congregation fish for people. I will make you do the thing that you long this longing in your heart, maybe a longing that's beyond words, I will change you to the congregation that does that thing, the thing it is that you want to do as my followers. He says, I will transform you into that sort of sort of people. And to do that, we elect leaders, but we don't follow our leaders. I was having a conversation with a minister the other day, and, and we were commenting on how people who know we're not Catholics, um, come up to us. People from our own congregations routinely come up to us and tell us how much they like Pope Francis. And I like Pope Francis too. I think in his uh, last uh, almost a year now in office, or in his, I don't know, office, whatever the word is, um, in his job, he's done wonderful things. I think he's hitting exactly the right notes. Um, but if I were a Catholic, I would not follow Pope Francis. I'm not a Catholic, I'm a Presbyterian, and I don't follow the executive presbyter, and I don't follow the General Assembly moderator. I don't follow people. I follow Jesus. As a Methodist, I would not encourage you to follow uh, Dave, Dave Beckett, our district superintendent, not because he's a bad person or a bad Christian, but we do not follow people. We're not electing people. We didn't last week elect people, and today we're not installing people who we will follow. What we're doing today is installing leaders who will help us to see where Jesus is going because we're trying to follow Jesus. So our role today and my prayer for the people we are installing is that they will be faithful followers of Jesus so that they can lead us as we follow Jesus. That is the prayer that we have as a congregation. It's also our prayer as individuals that God will guide us into the path that he wants us to follow. So, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus, and we thank you for the call that he gives us each, that he knows us, he knows our future, he knows our capabilities, and he knows what he can make us into. And I thank you that he calls us and says he will do exactly that as we follow him. I pray for this congregation as we seek to follow him collectively. 
And I pray for these leaders that we are about to install, that they will be part of your work of guiding us as we seek to follow Jesus. I pray all this in his name. Amen.